Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going to endeavor to get off the fr- first page of my notes. I haven't, haven't been able to do that yet in this series. I've ministered twice and still on the front first page. But we're going to go forward today. Praise the Lord. Amen. But, we, but we'll see because we're going to follow the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's the important thing. Amen. So I want you to go with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy. And this has been our opening text in, this, uh, in the third part of this series We'll continue. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Well, this can't be talking about anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice he calls Jesus God. God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus is the Son of God, very God, the second person of of the divine trinity. Uh, The trinity is a doctrine that simply says that there's one God who exists in three different personalities, three different persons. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're distinct persons, but they're not three different gods. And, 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 and that's a mystery as well, that they're all combined to make up one God. And each of them individually is God. Just as much God as the other two. And God the Son was manifested in the flesh. And as great as, as the mystery of the Trinity is, this is even a, a more powerful uh, and far-reaching uh, uh, mystery, and he says that without controversy, it's a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. That, and the first thing that we focused on here is the fact that God was manifested in the flesh. And that, in over in John chapter one, you don't have to turn there, but it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And then it goes on to say, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." And again, this is, this is speaking to this whole idea of God becoming a man, becoming, coming in the flesh and being united with humanity. And we know from, from uh, all through the New Testament, when we look at all of the verses that have to do with, with Jesus the man, we realize that, that the Lord Jesus Christ did not lay aside his divinity. He was, he was just as much God in Bethlehem as he was before he came at the right hand of the Father. Uh, he didn't lose any of his divinity. He did lay aside his rights and privileges as deity and operated in this earth as an ordinary man with all of the limitations that an ordinary man would have except for this one, he was without sin. He was just like Adam was when Adam was first created. Adam was, was not God. He was a man, but he was without sin. When Jesus came into the earth, he came into the earth without sin. And, but in every other sense, he was a man just like every one of us. And, and, but he also was God. And that's, that's a great mystery, how God how divinity and humanity could be united in one person. How one individual could be both God and man. It's a great mystery. But there's, there's an equal uh, mystery that's just as profound. And that is the fact that when you and I were born again, we were united with Christ. We became one with him and yet we are still we. We're still us. In other words, when you got saved, you're still a human being. You still have, you were born, you know, through natural process. You came into this earth. You were, you grew up as a baby and as a child and into adulthood. If you're an adult uh, right now, uh, you came into this world as a human being. And yet you've been united with Christ. 
We're one with him in the same sense that, that Jesus became one with us, we've become one with him. The only difference is uh, Jesus was God and we're not. <laughs> we, we don't share that distinction, but, but we are still one in spirit with him. And so it's a very, uh, it's not just a doctrinal point. Uh, I could just teach doctrine, and doctrine can be uh, uh, interesting, but not have any power. There's there's a reason why this is so important, and so uh, we've been talking about the fact that uh, uh, through our union with Christ, we were crucified with Him. Go over to Galatians chapter two. We'll just quickly cover what I've covered before. This was last week. Galatians chapter two. We'll just look at one verse. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Other translations, and I read some of them last week, you can go back and, and, and listen to that. But uh, one of them that I read said, and I don't remember which one it was, I don't have it in front of me right now, but one translation said, I have been co-crucified with Christ. That simply means if you're able to grasp it as well as you you can, and and you you will understand more the more you hear it, when Christ went to the cross, you went to the cross, if you're born again. Because Jesus, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, Jesus did not come uh, and die on the cross as a martyr. What is a martyr? A martyr is someone who gives his life for a person or for a cause because he loves that person or he believes in that cause. And like religious martyrs, they give their lives because they're, they're unwilling to recant what they believe in. They're unwilling to go back. They're unli- unwilling to, to, to lay it aside. They say, no, I'm going to believe that and believe this way even if it costs me my, my life. They die as a martyr, but they're not dying for anybody. In other words, their death doesn't affect it. it it's not, they don't die as a substitute for anybody. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die as a martyr. He didn't just come to the earth and, and, and love us so much, though he did love us. And what greater love is there than a man than that a man would lay down his life for his friends? Yes, yes, Jesus had that love. He demonstrated that, but it was more than that. He didn't just come to die for us as as a, a, a an expression of his love to show us how much he loved us. He died as a substitute, and that's entirely different. In in what that means is Jesus went to the cross for us. In I'll say it this way: in our place. He went to the cross in our place. He died in our place. He suffered in our place, not just on the cross, but in during the three days and three nights. He suffered for us. He took our place. And, and so in that sense, because he died for us as a substitute, when Jesus was, was made alive, when he was, when, after he had been dead three days and three nights, when he was made alive again in spirit, quicken, remember it says here was justified in spirit. Remember that? We read that over in First Timothy 3. He was justified in spirit. Well, why would God have to be justified in spirit? Well, because Jesus had taken on the sins of humanity. He had to, he had to suffer everything we deserve to suffer. And our sin has great penalty spiritually. He had to suffer all of that in order to relieve us from it. In other words, in order to deliver us, he had to experience it. Well, when Jesus was made alive and in, 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 in when, when he was dead in trespasses and our trespasses and our sins, when he was made alive, the, the entire church... And, and it was made available for all humanity was justified in the, in the eyes of God. Sin had been dealt with. The penalty had been paid. Man had been justified. 
And Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, you might, you might say, well, if that's true, then everybody's, everybody's justified. No, everybody has to access that, like Pastor Greg was talking about, through faith. Everybody has to make their own decision to, to believe in the gospel. And when you believe in it, then what Jesus did becomes a reality in your life. And the person next to you who refuses to believe, even though Jesus did it and provided it for them, if they don't believe it, they don't put their faith out, they can't access it. It doesn't happen for them. It happens the, for us. It happened in the mind of God when Jesus was made alive. But it happens for us when we put our faith in what he did. That's what activates that. That's what causes it to come a, become a reality in our life. And we're born again. Well, when that happens, when we were born again, we were recreated in union with Christ. Go to 2 uh, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians five, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I pointed this out as I often do, then anytime you see the terminology in Christ or of Christ or through Christ or in him or by him, all of these, all of these phrases or, or, or this terminology is pointing to the fact of our union with Christ. And so, in fact, I have one translation. I think it's the Williams translation. I'm not, I think I'm right on that. And every time it translates in him or, 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 or in Christ, it always says in union with, because that's what that means, in union with Christ. So verse 17 there says, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When a person is born again, they are recreated. They become a new creation. In, in other words, there's a, there's a brand new creative act. Just as distinct, just as, as amazing, just as profound as the, the creative acts when God said, let there be light. Or when God created your own spirit. In the womb of your mother when, when you were conceived and that, and, and God created a living human spirit inside that, that, uh, is that an embryo at that time at, at, at conception? Right at that moment. That was a creative act. Well, when you are born again, a creative act just like that took place and you became a new creation in union with Christ. So you weren't just made, made an, a new creation out here on your own. You were created in union with him. You, you, you took up uh, 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 co-existence with Christ, if I can say it that way. You became one with him. Amen? So, um, and so what happened in the process is, like, according, uh, like it says in Galatians 2, we were crucified with Christ. You say, well, how can that be? We weren't even there. Well, see, in the, in the spirit realm, in the physical realm, there is time and distance. But in the spirit realm, there isn't any time or distance. It's, it, the, the spirit realm where God exists is, is eternal. It's, it's a constant present tense. It's, it's, it's always present. And in the realm of the spirit, even though you lived in 1990... When you became born again, God took your, your spirit man and united him with Christ in his crucifixion. Because remember, he was crucified for you. So God placed you in Christ in his crucifixion. That's what it means when it says, when Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Amen. So now go with me and we'll get into today's message. Go over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Oh, this is so powerful. Glory to God. Romans chapter 6. But you know, I was, I was going to start in verse number 3, but before I get there, <laughs> I, I, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to me too, to start up in verse, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 and lay a little foundation here. Romans 5, 17 says, For if... If by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, 
Much Now, who is the one? If you go back up to 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. He's talking about Adam. So he says, if by, if by the one man's offense, Adam's offense, death reigned, that is, seized the sovereignty through the one. And that's exactly what happened to the human race. When Adam sinned, Adam was, was at the head of, of uh, the creation of God on the earth, on the planet. He is the head of the human race. And we are all in the, in the physical realm. Every man that's ever been born has been born in Adam, in union with Adam, because we all descended from him. Every one of us have, has Adam's DNA. We're, 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 we were in him when we were conceived, okay? And it says that through this man's offense, by his sin, by his transgression, death seized the sovereignty over man because God had given man authority. God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the garden, and gave them authority in the earth. So much so that God basically took his hand off of the affairs of the earth. He gave it all to Adam. He said to them, he said, you go out, multiply, subdue the earth, take dominion in the earth. He, in fact, Adam was given the assignment of naming every creature that moves on the planet. If an elephant... If, if, if Adam had decided that when he saw that first elephant, if he, if he had decided, well, what a wonderful flea. I'm going to name that a flea. Every time you see an elephant, he would be called a flea. Because Adam named him. And Adam had authority over the earth. But then we know the story, the tempter came and tempted Eve and tempted Adam and they sinned. They, they disobeyed God's command. He only gave them one no. He said, you can have everything, but don't eat of this one tree. That's the only thing you can't have. And that's the thing, of course, the devil tempted them with. And they disobeyed. Well, the Bible says that whoever you obey, you become, they become your Lord and you become their slave. So Adam, in essence, when he turned his back on God and listened to the devil and, and yielded to that temptation and did what the devil wanted him to do, he basically committed high treason against God. He turned his back on God, and I'm sure he didn't intend for these consequences to, to, to happen like they did. But in what, what he did by obeying the devil, the devil became his Lord. The devil became his master. Remember when Jesus was here, he was speaking to the religious people of his day. And, and, and these were the most conscientiously religious people there were. They lived by strict codes of do's and don'ts according to the law. He said of, of the most strictest sect, he said, you are of your father, the devil. I'm sure that went over real big. Do you think he was joking? No. It's absolutely a fact. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Because you see, when Adam sinned, Jesus, if, if you read the, 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 uh, the book of Genesis, when he's telling them about not eating of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, he said, do not eat of it, for in the day that you eat it, in that day you shall surely die. Well, uh, Adam lived to be 930 years old. That's a long time after one day, isn't it? 930 years he lived. But God said, in the day you eat of it, you shall... In that day, he was very, very specific and very pointed. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, it has to be talking about something else than physical death. What happened is... On the day that Adam ate that and Eve ate that, they died spiritually. Now, what does that mean? That me now, spirits are eternal creations. Spirits, when, when we think of something dying, we think of, uh, you know, if, if, you, if, you, 
an animal falls, you know, in, in, the, in the wilderness and dies. I mean, he's just, he's just dead. And you can pick him up, shake him, you know. There's no, there's no response. He's just dead. You can, you can take him home and, and, and take him to a taxidermist. We found an animal. We thought about taxiderming one time. Remember that? And uh, we found a, 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 what was it, a, a bobcat. But anyway, we didn't. But uh, I'll tell that whole story. But uh, you, could, you, could, you could stuff that bobcat and put him in your living room. And he'd look real. In fact, if somebody come over to visit, you know, they might be shocked. They get up in the middle of the night, you know, and walk in the living room and there's a bobcat in the living room. It would look real. But you know, you can kick that bobcat and just fall over. He's dead. Just dead. That's what we normally think of when we think of death. But in the Bible, the Bible has, has so much more to say about spiritual death than it does physical death. Spirits cannot die like physical bodies can die. You go fishing, pull a fish up, hit him in the head, he's dead. Spirits can't die that way. Spirits are eternal. They, every spirit being that's ever been created by God still exists. Remember the angels? They're spirits. The angels that sinned, the angels that, that fell, they, they've not been done away with. They still exist. Spiritual death is defined best by the, by the, the uh, description of separation from God. That's what spiritual death is. The life and awareness of God leaves a person when they become spiritually dead. And uh, they're separated from God. You see that in the garden. The day Adam and Eve sinned, God came and God had to kill an animal and clothe them. He had to shed blood and clothe them in order to have even have any contact with them. Because they were separated from him. And the whole history of the human race... Uh, paints that very graphic picture. Man is, has been separated from God. So when, you, when we talk about spiritual death, we're not talking about the cessation of being, the lack of consciousness of anything. Spiritual death is separation from God. When Adam sinned, the life of God, God's nature left him and the devil's nature entered into him. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And you will do what he wants you to do. Uh, spiritual death is, like I said, is what the Bible, when the Bible talks about death, particularly in the New Testament, it's almost always talking about spiritual death unless it's obviously talking about physical death. In this passage in uh, Romans 5, let me get back to it. In this passage, verse 17 says, For by one man's offense, death reigned. Well, that's talking about spiritual death. Death reigned through the one. If by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Notice that... that Adam started something and Jesus started something. Adam started a reign of death. Jesus began a reign of life. He began a reign of righteousness and of grace. Okay? So with that in mind, let's go on down to chapter 6. And let's look at... Let me see if I'm going to go there yet. i tell you what. Go, go Before we do that, go with me to 2 Corinthians... 2 Corinthians, this will help too. Look at chapter, <clears throat> I have that in my notes as 2 Corinthians and it's supposed to be 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians and let's look at verse number 20. 1 Corinthians 15, did I not say where? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. And we'll see, we'll see there's some language here that's very similar to what we just read in, in Romans 5, 17. Verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead 
and has become the first fruits of those who have now in the in the King James does it say fallen asleep. Yeah, in the New King James it says fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep is a is a what do they call that? A, a euphemism? Huh? It's a, but it isn't a isn't a euphemism something that makes something a little softer? Huh? Yeah, it, it's it's instead of saying somebody died, we say well brother so and so passed away. That's a euphemism, I think. Uh, the re- this this isn't written this way simply to make people feel better. It's written this way to uh, to to identify that he's talking about physical death, not spiritual death. Let's read it that way. Now Christ is risen from the dead, from the from spiritually dead, and has become he was justified in spirit and has become the first fruits of those who have physically died. Now notice verse 21. For since by man came death, didn't we just read that in Romans? For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In Adam all die. Now the process happens like this. When a child is born, just, an, just a baby, that baby's spirit came from God. That's, that child's spirit is alive unto God. There's no spiritual death in that baby's spirit because the baby's innocent. The baby doesn't understand the difference between right and wrong. And that innocence continues through uh, infancy into, into toddler stage and, and, and uh, a little beyond that. There's no distinct day or, or time, but at some point in a young child's life, the awareness of moral right and moral wrong comes. And there's no, like I said, it's not any particular age. It happens to different people at different times. But every one of us have experienced it. You might not remember it, but you experienced it. There was a time when your parents told you don't do that and you did it anyway, but you didn't have a sense of a moral wrong. But there came a day in our development where we became aware of actual right and wrong morally and in the eyes of God. And guess what? Every one of us failed the test. Every single one of us eventually transgressed our moral conscience and did something that we knew was wrong. It was wrong in the eyes of God. It was wrong. It violated our conscience. And yet we did it anyone. Every one of us did that. We call that, you know, uh, just as a terminology, we call it the age of of accountability, that a person becomes accountable at that age. There's no certain age, but it happens when it happens. So at that point, when you violated your conscience, like I said, you might not even remember it, but, but, and we've done it so many times. When that happened, though, our spirits were, were separated from God. Spiritual death came into our spirit at that point, and we were separated, and that's why every person has to be born again. Everyone has to be saved. Everyone has experienced this death, and it came through Adam. Notice 22 again, verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 22. For as in union with Adam, all die, even so in union with, li- in union with Christ, all shall be made alive. Now, people have taken that part of that verse and they've taught universalism. And they've taught that uh, all are going to be saved. There are, there are people that believe in the end, Everybody will be saved. Even the devil himself will be saved because God is a God of love. And it says right here, in Christ, all shall be made alive. But notice it's in Christ. You have to be in Christ. Now, all of us were in Adam. We were all part of his family. He, he, he was our, our elder uh, uh, ancestor, ancestor, Right? But when you were born again, you passed spiritually, you passed out of Adam's race 
into a new race. You, you, trans, you, you, left, the, you left the Adams family. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and, neighbor and say, I'm not a member of the Adams family any longer. <laughs> and the Adams family, they were weird. You left, when you were born again, you left Adam's family and you came into Christ's. You were made alive in Christ. Now, in verse 20, it says, now Christ, I'm not going to get off this first page. In verse 20, it says, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died. Now, what is a first fruit? First fruits in the Old Testament, they were they were instructed to bring. Uh, they had a festival called the Festival of First Fruits. The first fruits would be the very first uh, produce from a crop. When the crops came in, the very first fruit that was reaped that was the first fruits. But if there's a first fruits, there has to be a second fruits. In other words, there is more to come. Christ, when he was risen from the dead, became the first fruits, the first of many to come. Now, with that in mind, let's go over to verse 45. Verse 45 says, And so it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living spirit. The last Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was Adam as we know it in the Garden of Eden, our ancestor. The last Adam, that's referring to Christ. Notice it doesn't say the first Adam and the second Adam. Because if there's a first and a second, you could expect there'd be a third and a fourth. The first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Adam was the head of the human race. All humans have come from him. All humans, in, in, in if they're unsaved, even spiritually, but... Uh, uh, but all people physically are in Adam. He's the first. Jesus is the last Adam. What that means is Adam was the head of a human race. Jesus, if he had been the second Adam, he would be the head of a new race. But he's not the second Adam, he's the last Adam. He is, he is the head of a new creation. Just like Adam was the head of the first creation, Jesus has become the head of the new creation and there won't be another. He's the last Adam. There won't be another man stand in the position of Adam to begat after himself people of like, people that are like him, that partake of his nature. Adam had that ability to begat people with a fallen nature. Jesus took the ability through his death, burial, and resurrection, he got the ability to, to create or beget a race after his nature. And there, there will never be a third Adam. If you read on down here, in fact, it says, uh, verse 47, the first man is of, is of the earth. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now, interestingly, he's, he's not called the, the second Adam. He's called the last Adam, but he is called the second man. The first man was of the earth, that's talking about Adam, was made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Now I want you to get this. Jesus was the last Adam. There won't be another, but he's not the last man. He's the, Adam was the first man. Jesus was the second man. And verse 48 says, and as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. 
And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the, of the heavenly man. The point is, Jesus became the last Adam, but there are more men following after him that are of him. That's why it says he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8. Oh, glory to God. Now, I know this is, you know, heavy doctrine, but there's power in this. Romans 8. Uh, yeah, I wrote that reference down. Re, uh, Romans 8, look at verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, his son, might be, might be the firstborn among many brethren. He has become the firstfruits, and he is the firstborn among many brethren. Because though there will never be a, a man like Adam, there will never be a second, a, a third Adam. Jesus, Jesus took the, <clears throat> the, the authority that Adam had to create after his kind. Jesus was given that authority to create after his kind. And there will never be a third, but there will be more created after him. And thank God there have been billions. And you and I are in that company. We're in the company of the firstborn. Glory to God. Go with, over to, go with me to Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. Hallelujah. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Ooh, glory to God. We belong to the church of the firstborn. Jesus was the firstborn. Others have been the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and right on down to us today. There, there continues to be those who are being born into this family and born into this church. Glory to God. We bear our union with Christ just as much and even more because it's more powerful than our union with Adam. Now, physically, I still have the marks of Adam. I still have the flesh that I, came, that, I, that I received from Adam. But on the inside, something's changed, praise God. I, I have a new DNA in my spirit. I talked about that a couple weeks ago about a man who, who his grandson, you know, had leukemia. And they gave him a, bo- a bone marrow transplant. And, and the donor was his brother. And the brother's DNA passed to the second child. And the doctor said, now they have the same DNA. They're identical DNA. In fact, if one man, if they, if, when they grow up, if one commits a crime, they won't know which one did it. According to their DNA. Because the DNA has them both at the scene of crime. Well, in the spirit realm, if you can compare that, we have partaken of Christ's DNA. We are one with him. Now, glory to God. When Jesus died on the cross, we were crucified with him. We were, we were there. Just like those two children I was talking about that had the, that shared the DNA. One of them commits a crime and there's DNA found. The DNA puts them both there. (laughs) Well, we, we were there. Our union with Christ put us there. When he was crucified, we were there. Our, we, we, we were joined with him. We were there. Say, well, I was born in 62. How can that be? I'm telling you, we were there. In spirit, we became one with him. He was crucified, but he died. Now, the death that he died was not just a physical death. This is what trips a lot of people up because in, in back in the 80s, there was a lot of pushback on this. When, when, when people began to see and teach, uh, and, and others down through the centuries have taught it, and I, I have a, 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 a list of, of some of the most notable Christian 
thinkers, most uh, respected ministers and theologians down through the ages who've all seen this, but the modern church hadn't seen it. And when it began to be preached again back in the 1980s, people got all upset about it. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die physically, he died spiritually. And people got all blown up about that. Well, no, Jesus is the son of God. How could he die spiritually? You have to understand, they're thinking of natural death. No, he didn't cease to be a spirit, but his human spirit, he was a man with a human spirit. And that spirit took on spiritual death. That spirit was cut off and separated from God. Why else in the world would Jesus on the cross cry out and say, my God, my God. You know, he'd never called God, God before. In, in reference to him, when he was speaking or talking to him, he would always say, my father. He would pray to the father, talked about the father. But on the cross, darkness fell on the landscape that day the curtain was torn in two darkness fell and the, and the ground shook there was an earthquake Jesus cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me what had happened his spirit man had been cut off from the father why did that happen it happened because that's our condition that was where we were that's what we that's what we uh, suffered with we suffered with spiritual death We had partaken of spiritual death and the only way to deliver us was for somebody to go there in our place and suffer that for us. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If there's anything from the fall of man, any consequence, any penalty that Jesus didn't suffer, then it's still out there for you and me. We're still obligated to pay it. If Jesus didn't suffer it, we're obligated to pay it. But thank God he did suffer it. He drank the full cup of God's wrath. He took the full measure of the penalty of sin. He bore it. In, the, in fact, the Bible says he became sin. We read in, in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. if you go down to verse 21 in that same chapter, it said, he who became sin, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in union with him. Glory to God. So we died with him on the cross. Hallelujah. Let me read Romans 6 from a couple of different uh, translations. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united together, you notice that? If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, that's telling us we've been united together in the likeness of his death. One translation says, if we have been grafted into his death. Another one says, uh, if we have become united with his death. Another one, the good, I like the good speed translation says, for if we have grown into union with him by undergoing a death like his, uh, the Weymouth is, is very powerful. Weymouth's translation says, For if we have become one with him by sharing in his death, we shall also be one with him by sharing in his resurrection. We shared in the death of Christ because he didn't die for himself. He didn't go to the cross for himself. He didn't become sin for himself. He was not guilty. The Bible is very clear. There was no guile, no deceit found in him. He was sinless and spotless. Well, why did he have to die? Because you and I were guilty. Glory to God. When he he became sin and he died spiritually, he took the full measure of sin and all the other consequences of sin. In his spirit, he bore our sicknesses and our disease and our depression and our fear and our anxiety and all of our weakness and, and, and everything that's, that's, that's wrong about us. He suffered it all. He took the full weight of everyone's sin and became sin itself. But he didn't stay that way. When justice had been done, when the high court of heaven, God's righteousness had been vindicated, Right there in, in, in Acts chapter 2 talks about Jesus not being left in hell. 
That's a hard pill for some people to take. Jesus died spiritually and he went to hell for three days. And that's where he was. He wasn't in that tomb. His body was in that tomb. You look it up. You look it up. Acts chapter 2. It says his, his body was not, his, 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 Jesus uh, was not left in hell. His spirit wasn't left in hell. They're in the, in the, in the realm of darkness. You know, the first Adam's creation, Adam's creation was, was, was brought about in a beautiful garden. Ooh, what a lovely place to be created in a beautiful garden. The new creation was, was, was birthed in hell. In the place of the most unlikely place. The place of utter desolation. The place furthest from, from, from God that you can be. The life of God came flying as a firebrand right through the portals of hell and, and hit Jesus' spirit. And he was made alive. When he was made alive, I was made alive. Because I went to the cross with him, we know it. I, 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 died, I, I died with him. Let's, let's, I didn't read the, the whole text here. Romans chapter 6, I'll read it real quick. Not the whole chapter, relax. <laughs> Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We'll come back to that. Do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol that illustrates the fact that we died with Christ. That's why we have the sacrament of water baptism. It, it, it symbolizes our death and our burial and our resurrection. We lower a person into the water, but they don't, we don't leave them there. Thank God. We raise them back up. Notice what it says. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, the word baptized simply means to immerse, to place something into something. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, placed into Christ Jesus, were placed into his death? We were placed into his death. We were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Again, not water baptism, Therefore, we were buried with him through being immersed into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, we shall certainly be in the likeness of his resurrection. We were united in his death, but we, we didn't stay there. Go over with me to Ephesians chapter 1 or maybe 2. I think it's Ephesians 2. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2. Glory to God. And you, verse, verse 1 says, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, a course according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, notice, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive. Say the next word, say it. Say it. Say it. Say it again. Together, we were made to alive together with Christ. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Your faith, when you believed on the Lord, you thought you were just getting saved. You thought you were getting your ticket punched, you know, so you'd get into heaven one day. That's all, that's all salvation is to a lot of people. Well, you know, I don't want to go to hell, so I, I need to get saved. Well, that's, if, that's, if that's the best reasoning you have, that'll work. <laughs> and, and thank God for that. We're not belittling that, but there's so much more. When you, were, when you were saved, when you were born again, you were united with Christ in his death 
when his crucifixion, in his death, his burial, his being made alive, his being raised up, and even seated at the right hand of the Father. Where Jesus is today at the right hand of the Father, we, we are there with him. We just read it. Raised us up together and seated us together with him in the heavenly places in union with Christ. We just read it. Oh, glory to God. Now that we've established all of this, we can start exploring what it means. What, what does it all mean? Well, it's 12.05. We can't get into what it means today. Amen. And then next Sunday, uh, Pastor Fields will be here. Field, it's not an S on it, Pastor Field. He'll be here. And that's going to be wonderful. But you know, there's a week after that. Oh, glory to God. We've been raised to a new life. And, and, and if I could leave you with this. We, sh- we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just like Christ was raised, was raised from the death, we should walk in newness of life. Listen, you're not the old you. You're not the old you. You're not the person you feel like sometimes. Because the flesh hasn't been redeemed. The flesh still wants to act like it shouldn't. And do things it shouldn't. But we have a new life on the inside. Glory to God. If we died to Christ, I will say this. I'll I'll just get this far into it. What did Christ, when he died, what death did he die? He died unto sin. When Christ died on the cross, he died unto sin. And what that simply means is he, when he died, sin no longer had a hold on him. You ever go out to the cemetery? You ever see, you ever see a lot of sinning going on at the cemetery? There's nobody out there sinning because they're all dead. You can only lie as long as you're alive. You can only cheat as long as you're alive. You can only, you can only, you know, commit adultery as long as you're alive. But when you die, sin loses its grip. Jesus died. He died to sin once for all. It says later in the sixth chapter of Romans. Once for all. Well, when, when you died with Christ, you died to sin once for all. It lost its hold on you. Yeah, Pastor, you don't know you don't know what's going on in my house though. You don't know about my personal life. Sin seems to have a grip on me. I said when you Do you have a minute? Where's my Bible? Oh, here it is. <laughs> Romans six. We'll we'll get further into this, but I don't want to leave you here without this. What does all of this mean? What's the importance of it? Why am I laying down all this doctrine? Romans 6, you there? Verse number 8. Now, if we died with Christ, and and of course we did, that's been established, we believe we'll also live with him. Knowing that, here's what I want you to see, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also... Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love Weiss' translation. He says, be constantly counting on the fact that you died indeed to sin. Be constantly counting on it. See, that's, that's the solution right there. Pastor, you don't understand. Sin seems to have a grip on me. I, I, I know I'm saved. And I know I love the Lord, but I just keep falling into sin. I just keep, you know, just doing my best. You're not listening. Be constantly counting on the fact that you are dead indeed to sin. I know what you're saying, but, but you don't understand what's going on. Be constantly counting on the fact that you're dead indeed to sin. Yeah, but have all these impulses. Be constantly counting on the fact that you are dead indeed to sin. Yeah, but I, I just can't seem to get over it. Listen, be constantly, be constantly counting on the fact. It's not a supposition. The fact. That you are dead indeed unto sin. It goes on to say in two or three different places in this chapter that you that you uh, you are freed from sin. 
Says it three different times. Having then been set free from sin. Yeah, but this thing has a grip on me. I said, the Bible says, you have been set free from sin. But pastor, you don't understand. You've been set free. It depends on what you're going to believe. If you keep believing in your flesh, you'll keep wrestling and, and, and just being tripped again and again and again with your flesh. But if you start believing what the Bible says about you, what God says has happened to you, that you died unto sin just like Christ, you died with him unto sin once and for all. Sin has no longer dominion, no longer has dominion. You've been freed from sin. Now listen, I'm not saying willpower isn't important. I'm not saying you don't have to exercise your will. I'm not saying that. But if you're going to if you're going to get free from sin just by strength of willpower, you're going to struggle all of your life. Cuz you'll think you've got mastery and it won't be 3 months and you'll be back right back where you were. Amen. Willpower enough it by itself is not enough. Willpower alone is what I meant to say. Willpower alone is not enough. You need to have a determination. I'm not saying that. But until you get a hold of this and this word gets in you and you finally come to believe that I indeed died unto sin. Sin has no more hold on me. I've been freed. Then your willpower will have something to work on. It'll have something to take hold with. It'll have truth to take. Willpower without truth won't carry the day. But when you know the truth, when it gets down on the inside of you, oh, glory to God. Yes, it does. It sets you completely free. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of that? Praise the Lord. Well, I finished the first page. There's another page. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Thank you, Father. We're so grateful, Lord. You're so good to us. You're so good to us. You've done so much for us. Redemption is amazing, Father. It's absolutely amazing. Glory to God. No person, no human being could come up with a plan and a story like this. So great is your grace. Father, as undeserving as any person could be, doesn't invalidate the truth of what you've done in spite of our unworthiness, in spite of our failures, in spite of our spiritual death. When we walked in the lust of the flesh, Fulfilling the, the, the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. It didn't stop your love. didn't stop your grace. didn't stop the fact that you placed us together with Christ. In his death, burial, res- death, burial quickening, resurrection, and seating at your right hand. Hallelujah. We choose to believe what you say, Father. Glory to God. And walk free every day. Walk free every day. Walk free every day. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Sin shall not have dominion over this new creation. Glory to God. We're a new class of people. No longer united with Adam in spirit. We're of Christ. We're of Him. Through Him we live. By Him we live. In union with Christ. We thank you, Father, for the new creation. The old creation was cursed. But the new creation. Oh, new life. A new beginning. A new heritage. A new family. A new genesis. A new beginning. We can trace our heritage back now, not to Adam, but to Christ. Because Christ separated us. Broke that dominion of death broke that heritage of death separated us from all that came before glory to God we trace our lineage back to Christ hallelujah that's the that's the new species of being 
that has come into being. A brand new type of man. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Father, uh, there came into, into, into creation a new type of man that had never lived before. A man that was united in Christ. Glory to God. One with the Master. With all of his life, with all of his nature, with all of his righteousness, with all of his wisdom, with all of his strength, with all of his ability, with all of his power, with all of his love, with all of his grace. Glory to God. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.